Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This is the Pitchfork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the Editor-in-Chief. Today we'll be trying to wrap our heads around the much-talked-about, somewhat controversial HBO series, The Idol. The show stars Lily Rose Depp as Jocelyn, a pop star trapped in the sleazy, unforgiving web of the music industry. It also stars The Weeknd as Tedros, an abusive cult leader who takes advantage of Jocelyn and her fragile mental state. There's a lot to unpack here, to say the least. There have been scandals around the show and a batch of reviews that dub it as torture porn, skin crawling, and the worst show of the year. There's also been a batch of new music from the cast alongside it. To get into all of this, I'm joined by Ryan Domble and Jeremy Larson. Hello, friends. Hello. Hey. How's it going? I'm excited to get into this show because I find it fascinatingly bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like one of those shows that's maybe more fun to talk about than watch. 100%. Totally. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we are generally fans of The weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, we will definitely sit with anticipation for anything coming from The weekend, And so we were all curious about this show at the very least. Then we started seeing trailers. Then we started hearing early reviews and we were like, oh, no. (laughs) I mean, the tagline for the show was that it was the sleaziest love story in Hollywood. (laughs) Is that correct? Yeah, (laughs) it's about right. Yeah, I think that was like the original tagline. And then like they tried to undo that a little bit. Uh huh. Well, Jeremy, why don't you just set the show up for us, for people who haven't watched it yet? So there's there's actually two versions of this show. The first version was directed by Amy Simons, and there were four to five episodes filmed. I think they spent like $45 million, mm-hmm. I, I, like reports were mm-hmm. on these four or five episodes. And the original tagline for the show, the Amy Simons version, was this. It was set against the backdrop of the music industry. The idol centers on a self-help guru and leader of a modern-day cult who develops a complicated relationship with an up-and-coming pop idol. So originally, The Weeknd's character was this sort of, I think, less of a sleazy guy and more of something of a, yes, a Svengali character, but I think more in line of maybe sort of like a Crystal Echo Park kind of healer person, perhaps. But at some point in that process, as reported in this Rolling Stone article that came out in March, tensions between Amy Simons and The Weeknd and a lot of other people in the production just sort of boiled over. Um, It was a messy, there wasn't a lot of scripts, people were getting changes the day of. So the whole thing just kind of collapsed. Enter Sam Levinson, who is the creator, writer, and director of HBO's Euphoria, of course. And at that point, Sam Levinson 
and The Weeknd uh, sort of take over the reins of the show and basically reshoot and recalibrate the show to have it be more about The Weeknd and his relationship with Lily Rose Depp's character, uh, Jocelyn. And The Weeknd goes from a self-help guru to like a sleazy club owner slash pimp slash con artist, (laughs) uh, which... You know, it's interesting because I, you know, the weekend was basically saying like, oh, I don't come off looking good in this. Like, I don't. Mm-hmm. This is self-deprecating to me. Like, I'm not supposed to be a good person, and I think that's true. But also, he couldn't help but sort of giving his character this, I don't know, this lens of something kind of hip and dangerous, as opposed to like emasculating or something like that. Like there's nothing really sort of emasculating and self-deprecating in the, in the way that you would find actual comedy in, which I think sort of gets at some of the issues with the show. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So then they redo the show. Uh, It's filmed entirely at the weekend's mansion in Bel Air. It is also beset with tons of problems. The scripts are barely there. There's reports that a lot of the scenes were improvised. Um, and you can clearly tell because one of the show's main problem is that it doesn't seem to have a script <laughs> at, at all. I also want to just interject and say that, like, the main switch was that they, quote unquote, wanted to lessen the feminist perspective and lens. Yeah. So, like, the, or overhaul... the female, the female perspective. Yeah. Like, it was too focused on the female perspective. And The weekend was like, I see something wrong with that, which, of course, is something that everybody should take seriously when <laughs> when the weekend is like the female perspective doesn't really uh comport with what I want to do. Yeah, and there was actually an interesting a couple of photos that leaked recently that showed on set photos, like behind the scenes photos from the Amy Simons version mm-hmm. of the show. And it was like in a bedroom and it was like very kind of girly uh, Disney pop fandom bedroom. Like it seemed like a bedroom of like a super fan of Jocelyn. Um, and it was all like bright colors. It was just literally the opposite aesthetically of what we actually saw in every single way. And, and it, you know, people were saying like that version went into Jocelyn's backstory more. If anything, just seeing like those little glimpses even made me want to see that original version or like right. even more, you know, it's like, what, what was this supposed to be? Right. I, I feel like we'll get into the plot a bit, but the TLDR. Yeah, wait. T- I'm excited for this. I'm excited for this. <laughs> I'm really yeah, what this. Yeah, what is the, the short version of this? The, the TLDR of this is that um, <laughs> Sam Levinson and The Weeknd wanted to make uh, all aesthetic, big, big sleazy feels, um, cringing and watching through your hands version of the music industry show. Tedros and Jocelyn have a very complicated and bad relationship. There is a cast of characters around them that kind of enforce this relationship. It's unclear. It, it, you constantly feel like something even worse is about to happen to this pop star who is under the grip of this cult leader man. Um, and things do get increasingly worse and then suddenly end. <laughs> Right. Um, But I want to one of the main flips of the script. Also, one of the things that that it forced was the cast changing, like a bunch of crew left. I know some of the actors left. I think this prompted actually Rachel Sennett to be brought on and Mm. Moses Sumney came on. 
and Jenny of Blackpink came on. And so there was this kind of very intentional curation of music first artists. I feel like all of those people now call themselves multi-hyphenates. Um, but these musicians who then became actors on the show, and that is, I think, something we all agreed on. Like, one of the best parts of the show is the casting. Yeah, I mean, it is a fun background cast. You know, Rachel Sennett is Rachel Sennett uh in this show as kind of like Jocelyn's assistant slash best friend slash moral conscience of the show. Like the entire the entire series, she's just like in the background, like with a worried exp- expression on her face. <laughs> she has some of the funniest lines in the yeah. show. In the in the pilot episode, she content warning going forward because like we're going to be talking about some stuff. But like she has this line where she's talking about like what is and isn't like Ubukaki. And the way she says it and like her like her look on her face where she's like apologizing for saying it, but like it needs to be said because we're talking about a press strategy for what's happening here is like that's some of the humor that I think the show like really kind of excels at basically anything that Rachel Sennett does. She's the audience stand in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, exactly. And then there's Divine Joy Randolph and Hank Azaria play Jocelyn's managers. It's hard to tell if they really care about Jocelyn Mm -hmm. in the show. I mean, there's definitely some scenes where they, it seems like they do and they have kind of a familial relationship, but then there's other scenes where they're more like exploiting her. And I, that's probably rings true. Uh, I'm guessing that is often a conflicted relationship with artists and managers. Eli Roth, who is uh, most famous as like a horror film director, stars as like a Live Nation <laughs> CEO of some sort. But yeah, he's he's also kind of comic relief in the show. He has some of the some good found of, yeah, found yeah. of one-liners, including one about Hunter Biden, like in the, <laughs> the final What, what am I, Hunter Biden's house? <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and yeah, some that, of the- uh, That one honestly made me laugh. Yeah, really good. And yeah, for me, like as a as a pitchfork editor, the side character that's maybe most interesting is Moses Sumney, who's an artist that we've covered really closely mm-hmm. um, for years, and we did a cover story on him a couple years ago. And yeah, he plays a, an aspiring artist. It's fascinating the music that Moses Sumney sings in the show. Like, what is considered good music that he's making? compared to the music that he actually makes in real life, which is much different. Like in the show, it's kind of sexy R&B, like in the Prince vein, whereas in real life, his music is a lot more experimental. So it's interesting to see them highlight, you know, the kind of the most basic version of like what Moses Sumney's art could be. So there's a lot of of complexity there for, for Moses Sumney fans, I think. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, the New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.
I wonder what it was like for you because we all watch this by choice for some reason. <laughs> um, twice. I watched it twice, two times. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> but um like what is it like to watch the weekend? I said the weekend weekending in mm. this form. And do you feel like his character and like how he chose to play his character on the show reveals anything at all about who he is or like what he's trying to be as the weekend. So listen, like my favorite part was Abel, like was the weekend. Mm-hmm. I know like there's a lot of memes now about this, you know, this is the worst acting performance I've ever seen. I mean, it's insane it's that it's, ins- it's but it's insane worst. that this is your favorite part of the show. Yeah. Is like the weekend. His character made me laugh the most by far. <laughs> he's obviously, you know, the character is obviously like despicable and like <laughs> disgusting, but I think he's, he's in on it. Like, he does everything in his power to make the character gross, like mm-hmm. grosser, like from mm-hmm. his from his hair to his outfits. Mm-hmm. The hair is is a rat tail for those who yes. haven't seen it yet. <laughs> exactly. Which is referenced like constantly in the show. <laughs> right. Yeah. He seemed very proud of that choice. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, just like there's one episode where he's just sweating profusely, like throughout the entire episode. Like his hair is all <laughs> is all kind of like fanning out. He looks like shit. He looks like utter shit. And and I, that was so cool to me to see that. And in that sense, like, I like the weekend music when it is, like, over the top, goofy. Mm-hmm. This role is those things also. So in that sense, like, I was pretty into it. And, like, what he's basing this performance on is not totally clear, although... Kanye's referenced in the show. Mm-hmm. Kanye's producer is the producer in the mm-hmm. show. We've all read about the stories like about Kanye's school and like whatever, like his the work environment at, at Yeezus and stuff. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he gleaned some inspiration from from Kanye. Yeah. So yeah, like it, it really didn't change my perspective of the weekend that much. Like I might be one of the few people who likes him equally if not a little bit more like after the the show (laughs) that said like a lot of the sex stuff is just dumb and like it did like make me a little bit uncomfortable um there's one scene in like a valentino store (laughs) where (laughs) they're having sex in the in the changing room and and you know like in the middle like Lily Rose Depp's character is like, cuts it off midway through them having sex. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And she's like, figure it out. (laughs) And like, it's supposed to be kind of this hinge point, I think, where it's like, she's taking the power in the relationship. And then, but the funny, (laughs) but like, but but then like after that, they show him masturbating in the changing room and like very loudly. And I'm just like, this is insane. Like, it is kind of funny. Like, it was kind of funny to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm. I agree with you. And I think, like, that's like when the show reaches like that level of insanity, like, that's when I was the most on board. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think that then it was just, it threw everything to the side. And you were like, I feel like whiplash and like the, the nine G's of this show, like, on my chest. And I'm like, this is what I'm here for. The issue is that, like, they had that 
that soul and they had that like impulse to do that but they didn't have like the structure for it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so many times like when the weekend and lily rose depp were just like in a scene together it just sort of felt like they were doing like an acting exercise right no, yeah. and they just like said fuck every other word and <laughs> and we're like you want to know what the most dangerous thing we could do is it's like fuel each other up mm-hmm. and you're like I, this isn't dangerous like there's nothing i don't know what's dangerous about this mm-hmm. show and like that's like you know the this interview with the New York Times that the weekend and Sam Levinson and Lily Rose Depp did before it came out. You know they were like, you know, this show isn't going to be for everybody. Like mm-hmm. we're here we're making dangerous stuff. Like we're not we're not. This isn't your mother's uh, HBO show. <laughs> this is not and just like that. <laughs> but I don't know what this show wanted to say. Like there's nothing. I don't think. It's 2023, like, watching people have sex is not transgressive. Like, watching people have, like, I don't know, like, S&M sex is also not that transgressive. Like, like, nothing in here was, like, shocking in a way that, like, is something you can't readily see at two clicks away, right? So so what is this show trying to say? talking about Googling for porn, Jeremy? (laughs) I mean, like... But like okay, so like let me let me like get to the end of this of this long of this long highway that I'm driving down. Is that like what ultimately was the point of this show? Like what did this show have to say about pop stardom, about control, about the vampiric industry, about the cults? Like what did this show say? The thing is, I feel like the weekend has been like touching this kind of feeling for a very long time, mm-hmm. and I feel like he was just like, "How do how do I do it my fucking way?" You know, <laughs> um, uh, and I like he does describe in that same interview, Jeremy, which is a fun read, and you should read it mm-hmm. because it's so clear that they in that interview are just like, "Just you wait till the end, and then all will be revealed." Yeah. <laughs> You're like. And then you get to the end and you're like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> I feel like here here are a couple things. The Sam Levinson weekend pairing of it all is very like expository. Like let's let's like say the quiet parts out loud. Let's like do the dark things that aren't usually seen on film, like in the front of of the scene instead of the back of it, you know? Right. To give an example, the show opens with a scene where they put a intimacy coordinator and and lock them in a bathroom that's like the opening salvo of the show that's like the gauntlet that it throws down that scene i thought was very funny Mm -hmm. you know you see jocelyn kind of like showing a boob and she really wants to and the photographer is like they're having a moment and they're in the moment and they're doing their art and then the intimacy coordinator comes up and is like, this isn't in your contract. Like, your nudity rider doesn't allow for nipple. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, these are all things that are very real, right? Like, these are things that you negotiate. And then her manager comes up and is like, I paid half a million dollars for today's shoot to finalize this from the label's money. We can't, like take another day and change the contract for a different day for for you to show a little bit of nipple so that we have the shot, you know, like. And the complicated yeah. thing about that is that Lily Rose's Depp's character is like, it's my body. Like, right. like the idea of trying to protect me, are, you're also censoring me and not giving me agency. But I also feel like it could, you could just look at that as kind of like a knee-jerk reaction to Me Too. And, you know, like mm-hmm. some of the progress that's been made, mm-hmm. like in movies specifically, like, you know, following that. And I think 
that was a little bit hard for me to to ignore, you know, mm-hmm. like just it's it's very glib and like, you know, it is supposed it's like played for laughs, like literally locking, you know, it's like a three stooges episode mm-hmm. or something, like literally locking the intimacy coordinator in a closet. I'm just like, is that the villain that you should really be taking aim well, at? Well, I, I mean, I think that what I'm trying to say is that I feel like there are little snippets throughout the show. Like mm-hmm. when she's shooting her music video and she's trying to make it perfect for herself and she can't quite hit it and then the cameras go out and she's like mm-hmm. too tired and literally b- bloodied from doing the takes so many times. Like... That is a thing that we have heard before, you know, like that is a thing that we've we've heard extremely famous people say, like, I am exhausted. I can't take this emotionally. I like have bruises or I have to tape my feet or and then like the the label people being like, we're spending money here. Like, get it, get it done. Like, obviously, all of this is intensified for for the purpose of the show. But I think that there are like tiny snippets through the show where I'm like, that's that's a pretty good three minute encapsulation of, of what this could feel like. Totally. And that's and that's like the the weird thing about the show is that there are, I don't know, 10, 10, 15 moments that I could list off that I think are interesting or funny or uh, like complicate ideas that we have about pop music and pop stardom Mm -hmm. but you zoom out and you're like and so what like what what is the point here The idea of of talking about how difficult it is to be a pop star or like the journey of the pop star has been portrayed in every which medium for many decades. Is there something that you would compare this to or something that you would say like did a better job of this? Yeah, I would say like this show is in the mushy middle of two movies that I would recommend like in its stead. One is obviously uh, a star is born uh, with Lady Gaga, Uh you know, like that is about a man Bradley played by Bradley Cooper who connects with a singer and they develop a relationship and it becomes give and take. It becomes toxic. It becomes like productive. And it's a, it's a fascinating exploration of like what it means to, use someone to find somebody who inspires you to create music and to become a pop star. I also think like one that I would recommend is Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell with Elizabeth Moss. Um, And that features sort of Elizabeth Moss as this Courtney Love kind of character who is in the throes of addiction and uh, is trying to get on stage to perform a show and her bandmates are trying to get her on stage. But what that show does really well is give it. It's basically like a two act play. The first act takes place over 60 minutes. And in the first 60 minutes, the entire show is all exposition. It's all explaining to you what, who this character is, what they're doing, why they're here and why they're having trouble. And that's all that the idol is, but it does it so poorly. Everybody in the idol just tells Jocelyn what happened to her. And we never hear from her, like how she's feeling or what happened to her. 
which makes like her character feel so empty and soulless. And we don't understand her background. We don't understand like her grief about her mother. And by the time we get to like her actually expressing things, it becomes we find out like, oh, she's a major manipulator. And we're like, okay. So yeah, Her Smell and A Star is Born, I think like are two are two films that get at this idea and does this job a little better. Yeah, so I have a couple um, alternatives for the idol. One of them is the eternal pop star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. I was going to say that. <laughs> perfect Honestly, movie. perfect movie, yeah. Yeah, just because you're dealing with an insane milieu like the you know the the pop star world is ridiculous so why not just be even more ridiculous which is what that movie does another one this is kind of more maybe a little bit more punk but uh ladies and gentlemen the fabulous stains is a is another great music movie about uh women pop stars punk punk stars um from 1982 stars young diane lane and laura dern yeah, it's just about them, you know, being these punks in this male-dominated music industry and just kind of like kicking ass, basically. And it's a phenomenal film and a big influence on, on like Riot Girl as well. That happened a little later. And another thing, this isn't a movie, but another thing that this show reminded me of was the Charlie XCX's last album, Crash, like uh, in a way, because... For that album, it was almost like, you know, Charlie XCX is this kind of like alt pop star. And for that album, she was she was really trying to embrace like the more what people think of as like a mainstream pop star. Like it was almost it almost felt like performance art um, to a degree. And I felt like it was a much better examination of like what a modern pop star is, like what the expectations are, like what does this look like? What does this sound like than the idol? And it also reminded me because I think her Jocelyn's fans are called angels in the mm-hmm. in the show, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. also what Charlie XCX's fans are called. So yeah. I don't know if that's a nod. But one thing I will say, like moving forward, that I'm excited about is this movie that Charlie is writing music for called Mother Mary. This is a film by the director David Lowry, who did... Uh, the Green Knight, which is one of my favorite movies of recent years, and yeah, it stars Anne Hathaway as a pop star, uh, Charlie and and our friend Jack Antonoff writing some of the songs for that. So I feel like that's a that could be what this show was trying to be. So I wanted to take a second to talk about the actual music from the show. Jeremy, we've talked a little bit about like how are we as Pitchfork going to be thinking about this music. Can you give us like a quick rundown of what's going on here? Yeah, there's two. There's actually three categories of music. Uh, the first category are sort of like the diegetic songs, which are the sort of Jocelyn songs, right? There's World Class Sinner. There's One of the Girls, uh, Fill the Void, and Dollhouse. <laughs> That's sort of the Jocelyn EP that we hear. And then there's also the music of the kind of like the Lost Boys, <laughs> like <laughs> like what like crew, like Susanna's son has a song 
called Crocodile Tears, which everybody loves a lot in the show for some strange reason. <laughs> Crocodile tears are falling down my face. I want you to cry for me. I want you to be sorry for the things that you've done. Well, it's it's this avatar of authenticity, right? Like that song is, and right. she and she is, and it doesn't work because the song is bad. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an issue. Um, and then like Troy Sivan sings George Harrison's uh, <laughs> "My Sweet Lord." Sure, uh, why not? Uh-huh. And then like the Live Nation rep <laughs> is just like dancing in the middle, and Hank Azaria is like, "Oh, this is my favorite song." I'm like, "What? What, what is going on there?" So yeah, there. There's a lot of music in the show, and, and I think the only thing that stands out is World Class Sinner. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm yes, a freak. Yes, 100%. I'm just a freak, yeah. You know I want it back. And we can meet you, but I don't need to know your name. And that's a testament to why the show is kind of a failure because that's supposed to be the quote-unquote bad song. You know, like that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be like the thing that we're not supposed to like, but is by far the best song like on the show. Like all all the songs that sound like weekend songs sound like bad weekend songs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like this is, he didn't like give up like an amazing weekend song for this show. Did we like this show? Like was it worth the 10 hours, Jeremy, that you spent on it and the five hours that ryan and i spent on it no i think it's a it's it's (laughs) categorically a bad show like from from just sort of a a making a television show like concept like it's bad like the script is bad uh i think the that and that's sort of like the the nail and the caught like the final thing that you that it can't overcome i do think the production design is good i think they put a lot of um thought into the costumes, the the lighting. I think Sam Levinson like knows how to frame a shot and knows mm-hmm. how to knows how to make something look there's really good. There's some beautiful beautiful shots in yeah. it. So yeah. there's that going for it, but I also think it leans a little bit on that way too much. Like these lingering shots that that say nothing and do nothing, and and so you're just sort of left to sort of ogle at luxury and sex, which I just doesn't mean anything if there's no uh, <laughs> thesis underneath it. And I think this show like d- is desperately in search of like a really strong thesis. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like I probably wouldn't have watched the last three episodes if I didn't have to do this podcast <laughs> today. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, like we're so involved in like in the music world and like music industry. So it's always fun to see such a, you know, a mainstream depiction of it. So just on that, on that kind of basic level, I enjoyed it. Let me leave with this. If there is a season two, will you be watching? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, there's so much garbage. Like, and I, I it, now I'm just sort of, now I'm kind of in this and I want to see, I like I'm in this free fall and I want to see if they can pull it out, you know? Mm-hmm. I probably would watch it. If anything, just to see how it reacts to the, you know, mm-hmm. all the all the stuff that's been written about it and like cuz the show is very reactionary, so I'd be curious to see how it dealt with that. I mean, the worst thing you can have for a show is to have nobody react to it and say, "Oh, it's just fine, I guess." Like 
this is people want to hate watch the show like they could probably parlay that into uh, a six episode order for season two. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for coming on and talking about a very difficult show to watch. Honestly, it's been fun. If I could grow hair, I would see about getting a rat tail. Oh, God. Thank God you can't. I know. Thank God I can't. <laughs> Finally, we're talking about it. The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast. Catherine Finalosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Ryan Domble is our showrunner. And Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. I'm Pooja Patel. Thanks for listening.